Not everybody does. Uh, a lot of people may go to church. A lot of people may be quote-unquote religious. A lot of people may give to an institution. But that doesn't necessarily insinuate the fact that they're receiving the Word of God. Because it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to put what you hear into practice, right? So there's a not only a receiving, but there is a putting to practice what you have heard And really, that's what it means to be a disciple. We are taking what we are being taught, and then we are putting it into practice. And that, and only when we do that is it true that we have learned uh, what we've been taught. And it's the same thing in a in a a, uh, educational situation. The teacher teaches, and the student is to learn. But the student hasn't really learned until what he has put into practice what he has been taught. And it's no different here. He says, "Be doers of the word. You can't just be hearers." You can't just listen to what's being said. You have to put into practice what you've heard. And not only then have you been taught. So, as we look at this, first, first of all, let's observe the three wise exhortations found in verse 19. Uh, first of all, you see the very first word there in verse 19 is what? Everyone. My dearly loved brother, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Three exhortations that every one of us ought to really practice, and we have to heed, take advantage of. But the first thing here is, everyone is to be quick to hear. And uh, in this verse, it's almost like an oxymoron. If you don't know what an oxymoron, I barely know what it is myself. I can barely say it. But it's it's a word that has a contradiction to what you think it should say. For example, it says, be quick to hear. But really what it means is to slow down and listen. To slow down and listen. Be quick here has the idea of actually being very, very slow. In other words, taking the time to listen. Men, we're not very good at this. Uh, I don't want any amens from the peanut gallery or anything. But the bottom line is a lot of times we as men, we think we say, you know, our wife starts to say something, we know what they're going to say, and we just turn, turn and go. Communication has not taken place, as we've said many, many times. Communication is both giving and receiving. And we don't like the listening part, so we kind of just go. But the idea is to stop and listen. And you know that takes time. And I don't like to spend time doing some things. I'm in a hurry. i got things to do. i got an agenda to fulfill. But we need to sit and listen. And James chapter 1, verse 26 has the idea. It says, if anyone thinks he's a religious Without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and is deceives himself. The idea is sometimes we want to quick rattle off a response as soon as we hear something. Because sometimes we don't take the time to listen to the whole conversation. We don't listen to all the information that are given. Not all the facts are able to reach the table. And we want to spit something off before we really have the time to digest what is being said. We're going to be jumping around as we do from time to time, so this morning's not going to be any different. So as we go through some of these things, you say, Pastor, you're going way too fast. You can do it. My wife used to do and just kind of go like this. It means rain it in, slow it down a little bit. Or you can just say, Pastor's in a hurry, so he's going to get a lot of information out and just go with it. It'll be on the screen. You can write it down. But there's going to be a lot of verses we're going to look at this morning, but I really want to prove these three points from Scripture. And the first thing we want to look at is this morning is that we're to be quick to hear. We're to be... People who slow down, we're to be listeners, we're to make sure that we understand. Remember, the context here, not only is it practically applied to everyday life, but it's specifically applied to listening to the Word of God and applying it to our hearts and our lives. And that's the most important thing, because God's Word tells us it's the Word of God that works in us to what? To change us. 
Self-help books all over the libraries, all over bookstores across America. But it's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that changes the heart of man. So the Word of God has got to reach us. So the first one I want to look at this morning is Proverbs chapter 29. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 20. And I want us to think through some of these verses and the principle that is found within them. And the first one here says this, verse 20. It says, Do you see a man who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Think about that. There are a couple of things that God's Word is very clear about when He talks about the foolish versus the wise. And the book of Proverbs is full of exhortations concerning both. But he says, there is more hope for a fool than a man who speaks too soon. Men, specifically, we need to slow down sometimes. Um, I know for myself, I can get in a hurry, and I remember the first time I was really put in my place by one of our church members. Um, It really irritated the fire out of me at the moment. I know that's hard to imagine. Um, But but this young lady came up to me, and she goes, you know, she wanted to tell me something, and as soon as she told me, she only got about halfway through and I started finishing her sentence. You ever have talked to somebody like that? Don't they annoy the fire out of you? I can say that because I've done it. But what was happening was she was, you know, she was all excited and she was telling me about this and finally she goes, Pastor, can you stop talking for a minute? Okay. She goes, you're finishing my sentence but it's not what I was going to say. Okay, I'm sorry. It was a really weird, awkward moment that you can sit on a dime and dangle your feet. She was right. I was a young pastor, like 24 years old, 23 years old. And, uh, you know, I knew everything. Knew nothing, literally, but that's beside the point. But, you know, sometimes it takes those situations to help us realize that you're not listening. You're trying to say something before you know the answer. And God says, God's word says in Proverbs 29, if you speak too soon, there's more hope for a fool than for you. Sometimes we need to stop and listen and hear the whole uh, conversation before we respond. And because of that situation, I've never forgot. And I've tried to slow down and listen. I've never got mastered. Just ask my wife. Well, no, don't ask. You might get too many illustrations. But we're to be quick to hear, in other words, be very slow to respond. Listen. Take the time to listen. And especially when it comes to the Word of God. God's Word has so much for us to learn, none of us have mastered it all. None of us has learned everything that there is to learn. But sometimes we say this, when we talk about communication, God speaking to us and us returning, you know, communication being two-way, you know, one person talking, the other person receiving, and then and then. Back and forth, that's only when communication takes place. But how does God speak to us? Through His Word. Taking time to listen to what God has for us. That means you've got to be a student of it. It means you've got to read it. And when God speaks to us, then we respond back to God through prayer. Then communication takes place between us and God. So we need to be quick to hear. Number two, it says everyone be slow to speak. So we need to think before we speak. Not speaking too soon, but once again in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10.
Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19 says this. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is wise. You know, it's one thing about God's word. It almost speaks for itself, doesn't it? It's pretty simple. It's pretty clear. When there are many words, sin is avoidable. Um, when I was a youth pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, uh, the, the senior pastor had put out a list of just kind of short, pithy sayings that were good advice, good wisdom. He had put them together for the youth pastor ahead of me, and they were on the wall still when I got there. But one of the words, one of the phrases that was halfway down on that sheet of paper in the middle was, say more, speak less. And I went to him one day, and I, you know, as a young youth pastor, I went to him and said, Pastor Mike, what did you mean when you told Ryan to say more, speak less? He says, when you're up front, speak less, say more. Don't waste time. People's time is important. Make sure you think through what you say before you say it. People's time is important. Speak less, say more. And I think that's a good statement to remember for the rest of our lives. And I put this statement, statement on my chalkboard as a school teacher in junior high classroom. Right across the top of the chalkboard. Some people talk not because they have something to say, but because they have to say something. You ever met someone just goes like this nonstop? Speak less, say more. Think before you speak. So we're to be slow to speak, according to Proverbs 10.19. The one who waits to speak is wise, according to God's word. Over a few pages, the Proverbs chapter 17, verses 27 and 28 says this. The intelligent person restrains his words. And one who keeps a cool head is a man of understanding. Verse 28, even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when, his, when he seals his lips. There, is time, there are times to speak and times just to keep silent. And I've learned over the years that when a person is blowing up, when you blow up in return, guess what happens? Another explosion. Not wise. It doesn't accomplish anything. There's a time to say something and a time not to say something. But God's Word says, a person who restrains his lips is wise. And sometimes we need to learn that we don't have to defend ourselves because God's Word actually says, let another man defend you. And oftentimes we want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm in the right and I didn't do this wrong and so I'm going to let them know. And God's Word says there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. So we need to learn that. Psalm 39. says, I said, I will guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. Once again, there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. And so especially when they're in the presence of the wicked, we have to understand that sometimes there's more foolishness coming out of the mouth of the wicked. A person who doesn't know the Lord, a person who doesn't understand righteousness and what God's Word says concerning our speech and how we respond to things. So it's better just to keep quiet. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2 says this, Do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. What's he saying here once again? Take time to think before we speak. We all know situations, maybe we've all been guilty of it in times past, 
where somebody came and accused us of something and immediately we want to just want to lash out. Or somebody did this, they took something, they did something, they broke something, they whatever. And immediately our response is just to lash out. When we do that, God says there's more hope for a fool than of us. And so we need to guard ourselves, guard our tongue. And one thing we need to remember, we have something at stake that's far greater. It's our testimony for God. Um, Proverbs tells us that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. We need to not worry about our name. We need to worry about the name of Christ that rests on us. And Paul makes it very clear. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, yet not I. Or yet I live, but yet not I, but Christ lives with me. John the Baptist says he is an image bearer of Christ. What are all these men saying? They're saying that when people see us, do they see a picture of Christ? And when we're in the workplace and we lash out and we take down the the uh, the, the, employ- the employer and, and the bosses and the supervisors and the coworkers and we try to belittle them, oh, by the way, you want to come to church with me on Sunday? Our words mean nothing. So we need to guard ourselves, guard what we say, guard how we say it. Be slow to speak, James says. And then number three, everyone be slow to anger. The anger spoken of in this verse is not so much the outburst, although it affects that, but rather the deep-rooted, resentful type of anger. This kind of, the kind of anger that sometimes people don't see, and we think we may have it hidden from someone else. But the anger here is deep. It's not just the explosive part, although it includes that, but it's also the deep-seated, rooted anger that builds up and explodes. How we respond to situations that would cause us to be very angry reveals our character. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9 says this, Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. So when our anger is, is just welling out, and we're hurrying up, we want to let people know that we're in the right. We're going to hurry up and let people know that I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to let people know what I think. That kind of anger is characteristic of fools. And that shouldn't be part of us as, as God's children. Proverbs chapter 14. Chapter, uh, 14 I'm sorry, uh, chapter 14, verse 17 says this. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man who schemes is hated. So we're not to be quick-tempered. Then look again down at verse uh, 29. It says, A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. So when we're in a hurry to let people know that we're right and we're in a hurry to respond to someone else's accusations, and when we're in a hurry just to let them know what we think, God says you're actually very foolish. And you'll accomplish nothing. Um, we say often, when we get upset with somebody else, oftentimes that person that we're ticked off at, they could care less. You ever notice that? They don't know. They don't care. But we're going to lose all kinds of sleep and be angry and be upset and it only affects ourselves. The other person usually doesn't even care. They don't even know. Which brings me to another point, kind of just a little side point I want to stomp on just for a minute. When there are circumstances in our life when we are upset with somebody, we need to ask ourselves a couple questions. Number one, did they biblically sin? Sometimes this person chose the red and I wanted blue, but, and I get all upset over it. But the question is, did they sin? Do I have a biblical offense against me? If there's no biblical offense, guess what? 
I think someone said, build a bridge and get over it. Because you're not always going to get your way. That's just normal, everyday life. Not everybody gets everything around their finger like we want. But the second question is this. If there is a biblical offense, if there is a sin committed, I have a mandate from God. I'm not to pick up the phone and call my friend and say, Did you realize what so-and-so just said? Uh, it irritates a fire out of me. I'll wait till they... Ooh. That's not handling it right. And oftentimes, even in my situation, I know this is hard to believe, but someone comes to me and says, Did you believe what so-and-so in church said? Oh, oh, hold on a second. The situation is this. If I'm not part of the problem, guess what? I'm not part of the solution. Isn't that a simple concept? If I'm not part of the problem, I'm not part of the solution. See, if your problem is with Jake, go to Jake from State Farm. Just kidding. I'd throw that in there. But you see the concept? It's a biblical principle. If my offense is with this person, then go to that person. And what I've found over the years is a lot of times when you go to that person... It's a miscommunication, or they didn't really mean for it to sound as it sounded, or maybe it was a complete accident, but you never know until you talk. And can I just say this? Emails stink for this. Facebook stinks for this. Twitter stinks for this. You don't handle conflict resolution via media. Email is for information. We're meeting at the church Saturday at 7. Information. You can't battle confrontation through email or Facebook. You can, but then you look like a fool. We need to learn to deal with things the right way. So, when we're looking at these things, we need to realize that God wants us to make choices with how we respond to things. So how we respond to situations that would cause us to be angry really does reveal our true character before God. In Ecclesiastes 7.9, don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Think. Slow down. Take the time to truly know what is at stake. Proverbs 14, quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Verse 29, A patient man shows great understanding. Let's really show our character that it's of God by slowing down. Anger can cause us not to hear what God is saying. Um, Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. Before I read this, you may know this story. It's a familiar story, but I want to take just a minute before we even read that. You know that every one of us has expectations you ever thought about that? We have expectations. We want things to go a certain way. We want a certain outcome when we do this. You know, part A, part B is the result. And we have an idea of how we want things to, to be accomplished. Because that's how we are. We think in terms of, I do this, this is the result. And uh, Naaman was no different. But Naaman was so stubborn for a few moments here that he wouldn't get in what God was wanting to say here. Look at Second Kings chapter 5 here just for a moment. Um, you remember the you remember the situation. Naaman is 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 uh, cursed with leprosy, and here's what he says, verse uh, uh, eleven. 
It says, but Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of Yahweh his God, and will wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. I mean, this is how God's going to work. It's just that simple. The bottom line is, I'm going to go over here, and God's just going to, you know, you have his man, just kind of wave his wand, and boom, abracadabra, boom, he's done. Healed. Done. Cured. He had his expectation. But no, what did God tell him to do? Go down that nasty river over here, and, and cleanse yourself seven times. Seriously? I mean, did you have to pick the dirtiest river around? I mean, there are, I mean, and this river cleaner, and that river's cleaner, and, and that river's cleaner, but this one? Why couldn't he just come down and wave his wand and boom, be done? But instead, he gets angry, and he can't even listen to what God is trying to do here. Verse 11, but Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out. Stand and call on the name of Yahweh's God, and will wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more should you do it when, the, when he tells you? Wash and be clean. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of the small boy and was clean. He was so angry, he wasn't listening. Because he had his own agenda. And do you know that? Just this little principle here found in this passage. When we have our own agenda, we miss God's. We miss what God is trying to tell us when we're trying to do our own thing. Sometimes you just need to stop. Slow down and listen. But anger can cause us to miss what God is trying to tell us. And there's a right kind of anger. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. There is a right kind of anger. We need to make sure that we're practicing that. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. We need to make sure that our anger, if it is right, fine. But if it's not, we need to deal with it while we have the opportunity to deal with it. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of wisdom, um, but every time we do a, a wedding or a marriage uh, ceremony, one of my prerequisites is that we get eight weeks of counseling beforehand. And one of the things that we try to deal with is anger in the marriage. And one of the things that we say that is very scriptural and on point is, you might have blow-ups in your marriage, in every marriage. If you don't have them, I, I'm thinking you're lying somewhere down the road, but that's just my own point, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm probably wrong. You, you have perfect marriages. But in ours... I'll use ours. We, we've had a couple, we, <laughs> we've had a couple misunderstandings over the years. But one thing we've tried to do is make sure that when we go to bed at night, it's resolved. We don't wake up the next morning angry from the night before. Jake's like, wait a minute, I can remember. A <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. We have sought, 
We have tried throughout our years of marriage to make sure that when we go to bed, at least when we lay our heads down at night, it's resolved. Because that's biblical. You don't wake up the next morning ticked from the night before. This solves nothing. We need to make sure that when there is anger, that it's dealt with in a right fashion. Um, And Psalm 97 verse 10 says, if we love God, we must hate sin. And when there is unresolved anger, it leads to sin. And if we hate sin as God hates sin, we have to deal with it. So, uh, Psalm 97.10 reminds us that if we love God, we have to hate sin. So we have to deal with it. And in John chapter 2, another familiar passage, verse 14 through 16, you remember the passage here. Um, Actually, verse 13, the Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting here. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with the sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. There is a right kind of anger. He said, the church, or this temple here is not a place of business. It shouldn't be where you come to make, you know, hey, I'm coming from this country and I need to exchange a currency so I can give to the temple. And rather than just giving, it was a matter of, it was becoming a business. And that's why I say from time to time the church prayer list and the phone directory is not the selling list for, you know, Mary Kay or Amway or whatever else that we sell. It's, it's, the church is not a place of business. It's a place of worship and instruction and teaching. Right? And God said there is a time to be righteously angry. And we should be angry at sin. And we've noticed in our culture that we live in today, we don't blush at sin anymore. I don't know if you've noticed that. The commercials come on TV and it talks about, you know, and, and my pet, I can't stand all these bachelor shows, these whatever they're called, the reality shows. I mean, the con- let's get the real concept on the table. You have one woman, 14 eligible men. I'm going to sleep with them, make out with them, and do everything else with them, and then I'm going to choose one. That's the real simple basic concept, right? It's ridiculous. And why we would sit and watch this stuff as Christians? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Got over that pet peeve here. We should be angry at sin. We should not tolerate it. There are certain things that we should not just, oh, well, that's just so-and-so and they're an idiot. No. We should be upset over certain things. Certain things that, just, that should drive us nuts for the right reasons. Because it's sinful. When Jesus Christ came to the temple and found that it was a place of business, he overturned the table. I would have loved to have seen that. Because we have this idea that Jesus was this meek and mild-mannered guy who just never raised his voice and you know, but he taught very good things. No, I, I would love to have seen him come in there. And maybe he wasn't this monster brute of a Mr. Atlas. But I'm telling you, bottom line is, he was no slouch to be able to carry that cross. And I would have loved to watch him to walk in there and overturn those things. And say, this is not going to happen here. There are some things that we should be upset about. Let's go back to our text. So he makes it very clear here. There are three wise exhortations that we need to take to heart. Number one. Everyone should be quick to hear. In other words, be very slow to listen. Number two, everyone should be slow to speak. Make sure that you think before you talk. Number three, everyone should be slow to anger. Make sure you resolve the issues. 
right. But more in this text, James is not just dealing with conversation and day-to-day living. He's talking about receiving the Word. So look at verse 20. Verse 20 says this, For a man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. That doesn't need a whole lot of explanation there, does it? I cannot be living life as an angry person and at the same time be a picture of righteousness of God in me. The two are incompatible. I cannot be angry and righteous simultaneously. Because when I'm angry, I'm not righteous. So he makes it very clear here. You cannot have the righteousness of God the desires of you if you're living with anger that's unresolved. In verse 21, it says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil. Well, two things here. Moral filth, evil. Moral filth here refers to the defilement. Things that defile. There are things that sometimes if we let them stay in our system, we, let them, we dwell on them, we think on them, we, 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 you know, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, God's Word tells us. But this is referring to things that are rooted in us, things that defile us, things that take our focus off what they should be on. He says, rid yourself of those. Those areas of sin that we think no one else knows about, but God knows. Because God's Word says in Hebrews 4 that all things are naked and open before God. Psalm 139 says there's no place you can go that God doesn't see you. No matter what we do, God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so these areas of moral filth, it's kind of the deep-seated areas that maybe they're not visible to everyone else, but God knows where to get rid of them. And only then are we working towards righteousness. And then he says the evil, the wickedness, the sin that is deliberate. Um, Sin that one may try to conceal, but once again, you can't. Why? Because God's Word says there should be a change in us. When we read about that change in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we've read about this before, so I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but just very quickly. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 17. It says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity, a desire for more and more. What's he saying here? When Christ comes into our life, there should be a change. If we're going to claim the name of Christ, we ought to live differently. Verse 20 says this, but that is not how you learned about the Messiah. Assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him because the truth is in Jesus, you took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and the righteousness and purity of the truth. In other words, these things ought not be in our life. There should be a change that takes place And that's why he says in James 1, verse 21 now, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted Word, which is able to save you. 
And this idea of saving you is not a present tense in this forward, even though it sounds like it's a past tense. Because remember, he's talking to these Jews that were dispersed. We saw that way back in James 1, 1 and 1, 2. This is a group of believers that were dispersed. They had to leave their homeland. They're going to a new place and a new land. And they're starting all over again. And the idea that happens, or the idea that is present, as was present in the Old Testament with the Israelites, is that when they went to a new land, there's always the possibility that they will what? Take on the gods of that land. They'll take on the idols that are, that are, that are worshipped by the people of the lands that they go to. He said, you remember, you were saved. And there is a change that should have come over your life. You remember that. And so as you're out, and as you're growing, as you're serving, when we're talking about receiving the Word, you better be very quick to listen. Slow to speak, and slow to anger. And rid yourself of all anything that is morally defiling, anything that is morally wicked. Humbly ridding yourself of those things. And you know what? He says, ridding yourself. In other words, every one of us, as was given, the command was given to them, has a responsibility personally to get rid of some things. I can't make you get rid of sin any more than you can make me get rid of sin. Every one of us has a responsibility personally to deal with those things. It says ridding yourself. In other words, you're confronted with a sin that might be in your life, i got to deal with it. And then we learn to deal with it. And then we can go on and become the righteous person that God wants us to be. <clears throat> so wrapping up verse 21 here, it says this. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all this moral filth, this anything that defiles this evil, this wickedness, and humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. This word has saved us. Just as it saved them. And the idea here is that we have to live differently now. And there's a way to receive the word that's been given to us. Going on here, he says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. We're going to talk about that next week. So we have a responsibility here. Just as the Jewish people that were dispersed had a responsibility, it practically applies to us. We have responsibility to be different. And if we're going to yell and scream and respond in a hurry and respond in an outrage and respond, well, that's just my nature, and justify it and excuse it, we've given place to the devil and have become foolish. Because we now know better. We have responsibility to respond differently because of what God's Word has challenged us to do. So I don't know about you, but these things are not always easy. We are people of flesh. We're people who like to respond the way we respond, and we're our nature. I can remember... I'll tell you one story and I'll close. I can remember growing up in Minnesota, and I could very easily say, well, that's just my nature because... You know, my, my, my family, I come from a long line of people who just speak their mind. I know you've never, never heard that before uh, out of me. Um, but there's a time to say something and a time not to say something. And my mom gave me a perfect example of a time not to say something. At least I thought. Um, we're standing in Hardee's in Fridley, Minnesota. And as we're standing there, there's one guy in front of us and another guy in front of them. And my mom, she's standing here, and you have to remember, I grew up in a very conservative, independent, fundamental, King James only, women don't wear pants, and if it's not an organ, it's wrong. Church. <laughs> and anything that didn't fit that mold, kind of was just, kind of seeds within you. 
So I'm standing there, and this guy in front of us happened to have long hair right to about there. And uh, it was all braided and so forth. And my, I could see my mom, she started going like this. And I, I no sooner said, Mom, it came out. I don't know about you, Kenny, but if that was my son, I'd rip that hair right off your head. I was, there's no place for that. And she just went off. And this guy turns around. <laughs> my mom says the same thing. I'm like, Phew. I'm like, there's a time to say something and a time not to say something. We can very easily justify, well, that's just my nature. We respond in anger at my house. Well, change the nature. Rid yourself. We have responsibility to act differently because of what God's Word has told us. If we would respond these three things practically differently in our homes, our homes would be different. Being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What would be different in our homes? But remember the overall context. In receiving the Word of God, these people are in a different land, a different culture, a different country. And all the pressures and the cultural differences that are there... God's word is clear on how they were to what they were to learn and what they're to know. And he said, wait, slow down here. These people might be impressing different things, but you know the truth. And practically within our culture, we know the truth. We know that Bible trumps culture. Right? We know that, right? Bible trumps culture. See, when our culture we respond this way, but Bible says respond this way. That's more important. So challenge is all for all of us. We have a way to live and a way not to live. And when it comes to this area of slowing down and speaking less, saying more, thinking through how we respond to things, not getting angry, it's a challenge. It's a challenge that we need to, to, to respond to in a right fashion. Let's pray.